Welcome to the Mindful Rebel Podcast, the podcast where mindfulness and leadership intersect. In this episode, we'll talk to Charlotte Wynn. Charlotte is a meditation teacher, embodiment coach, activist, and safe space. Coming from a Southeast Asian background, spirituality and mysticism have always been a part of her experience. But like many immigrant families, survival was the guiding force that shaped her early years. After the death of her first love in 2007, she began a quest to understand how to be free from suffering. Meditation, movement, tea, and community each played a role, weaving together her love of spiritual practice, creative expression, and social action. She is the creator of Get Free, a creative consultancy that helps visionaries and changemakers become more inspired and emotionally healthy through mindfulness. She is blessed to serve and share this practice, which has so profoundly changed her life. Talk to me about your journey and kind of what led you to your own personal practice um, and then what led you to the mindfulness work that you do overall. Mm, yeah. Well, first, I'm just offering my deep gratitude for the opportunity to, to share here in this space. I, I never take for granted what a gift it is to be heard and to be seen. So, yeah, much gratitude in my heart for that. I think, you know, I'm, I'm really just someone who has insatiable curiosity and, and questions and theory about the status quo. And, and I have some intergenerational connection with that. My family came to the U.S. via the Vietnam War in the 1970s. And I think in some way with that legacy of trauma and oppression, it's always given me a lot of commitment and urgency around suffering and how to heal suffering in the world. And I think I'm just continuously always asking how to lead a life of service that can lovingly turn over the status quo. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the world I was born into, the social justice and activist work and I was working with the UN and Amnesty International, and, and I think being in the nonprofit space, serving vulnerable communities, I was feeling that there were some moral questions that were arising through the activist work and some like ungrounding and burnout that came from carrying out this sort of wounded healer wounded healer archetype in which I was helping people with trauma, but also having directly experienced severe trauma myself and just neglecting the, the inner work that I needed to heal. And these anxiety attacks and panic attacks and these emotional catharsis experiences would come out because my capacity to hold them was not, was not there. And my capacity to hold it all within me just exceeded its energy. And I had, I had nothing else that I could use to hold that down and it would come out and it would come out my, my inability and, and lack of tools to deal with it. And I, I lived in the world and in, in this way, it was a very different embodiment for me than where I am now. It, it didn't feel good. Like when I say the word embodiment and I think about that time in my life, I think about how I felt in my body and it sucked. It just wasn't how I wanted to live. And it was something that I kept choosing over and over again, because I, I didn't know any other way out. And meditation provided me with these tools to 
not not get out of it, but get through it, like move through the eye of the storm rather than like try to go around it or pretend it's not there and just run the opposite direction, you know, is, mm. is what saved my, saved my life and has allowed me to have healthy relationships because I was constantly pushing people away because I was afraid of them getting close. And, and me welcoming myself, welcoming these parts of myself that I didn't want to be seen or touched or anyone to get close to, giving myself permission to go into those places has then allowed me to be able to receive from the people who are willing and capable and generous with their love that want to see and love those spaces of me as well. And that's what's been able to, yeah, I, I would say save my life. And so fast forward a, a while, and in 2017, I created Get Free, which is my creative consultancy where I help change makers and visionaries become more healthy, emotionally healthy and inspired through mindfulness. And the modalities I work with are breathwork meditation, traditional tea ceremony, mindful movement. I'm a lover of the Dharma or Buddhism, which is where the philosophy of mindfulness comes from. And they're, they're forms of, of wisdom that were shared by the Buddha almost 2,600 years ago in, in South Asia. And I'm, I'm not a Dharma teacher or like a Buddhologist, but I'm, I'm really here to be a, a vessel and just share some of what I've learned along the way as a meditator who is also committed to a lifetime of disrupting the status quo and always trying to figure out how to work with that paradox. <laughs> yeah. That's um, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm I, I, the, the, the feeling I'm getting from our conversation and I say this with every episode and it's, it's so true. Um, and that I feel like I interview guests at the right time. And if for some reason it resonates at some point in my life, um, like that, that the conversation kind of leads into that, that, that space. And so it was something I wanted to, to pull out and tease a little bit more from, from your answer to your pre, the previous question is that, you know, you talked about this wounded healer archetype. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means and kind of what that is? Um, and maybe how you started to identify that? I, I think I know where you're going with it, but I want to, I want to hear a little bit more from your perspective about that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. When I think about this, this archetype, it's, and you know, the, these are the, the, the people that I, I, I work with and I'm and called to serve. It's, I think the experience of trauma and suffering often inspires us to take care of other people's trauma and suffering. It creates this capacity for empathy within us. And what so often happens is we use the idea of like saving other people, right? And, and helping other people um, as a way to avoid the inner work that's needed to heal. And that was very much the case for me. I figured if I could, if I can support other people in working through their trauma, then by proxy, right, that will like somehow transfer onto me and that simply wasn't the case. That only led to, to, to burnout, right? And so, you know, I think 
you know, I, I think sometimes when it comes to our suffering, like I, this idea of like, if I was a happy person, right, then I would, then I would feel this way all the time. Or if I didn't have to experience this deep, dark well of like grief or pain or suffering, if I didn't have to be visited by my anger, then I would be happy, right? But it's actually in, in meeting those experiences and allowing them to come through, we actually find ourselves in deep relation with our liberation. And so I just bring that up to say that, you know, when I am, when I am with myself, and I have a relationship with myself and I have intimacy with myself. I am then able to connect with others from that place. If I don't have that as my foundation, I'm in service in a way that is not stable or has the capacity, the potential for codependencies and is really about like saving or fixing or making other people happy. And if I'm in this deep relationship with myself and that's the place where I serve then that's the place where I serve from. And, you know, with me being with myself and feeling those aspects allowed me to be in relationships and to receive from these relationships. And what it's done is allowed me to be of greater service. So for me and, you know, and my own journey has always been about saving myself, but it's about, it, it saved my life, but it, but really so that I can use my life to be a vehicle of service to support others, because this is, this is a shared experience. And these are emotions that things that we all, the stories are different, but the emotions are the same. And when we can use these emotions to connect with ourselves, then we can use those emotions to connect with, with each other. And so I'm really all about healing the healers. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, finding what it looks like for us to continue to, to, to take a stand for causes, right. And to fight the good fight and how to do it as happier and healthier people. And that's, that's my path is, is this endless cultivation of increasing my capacity to hold it all like to hold someone else's stuff when I'm being triggered to hold my stuff, like to just hold it all. And I think that that's a big aspect. I think of being a woman in particular is this like pelvic bowl in which we're able to like hold and carry life and the world and creation and it all, you know, which includes grief and holy rage and anger and despair and hopelessness and ecstasy and joy like how can I like serve someone right and like listen to their pain and listen to their trauma and be present with their suffering and also not lose myself um and I think that comes with trusting our capacity to 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 hold it all yeah hmm. I'm digesting I'm digesting what you mm. uh, yeah I'm digesting yeah. <laughs> I tend to do this Me a lot as I, as I, as I talk to <laughs> there's a lot of what we like you know people say pregnant pauses where you're, you're really thinking intentionally about, about the words um, you know that you that you said because you, you said a lot and, and I think it, it, it means a lot especially this whole idea of like healing healers and and being at a place where you're mm. you're positioned in a way 
to give yourself, but you have to make sure that you're you yourself, you're you're in touch with everything that is and that is that is of you. Um, and so it's it's really important. I'm 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 digesting. I'm taking notes too. I'm sitting here, you know, scribbling in my little notebook. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And like I love when podcasts like allow space for silence and for digesting because it's likely that those who are listening need to take a beat too, you know, and I think so often we very much live in a culture that likes to talk into silence or like talk through silence. And so I appreciate that you're giving yourself space. <laughs> so one thing I want to hop into and, and, and chat about is um, the concept of radical joy and what that means. And so um, I'd, I'd love to um, talk to you a little bit about what radical joy is um, and let's, you know, tease out this, this concept a, a bit. Sometimes we talk about that it's hard to be welcoming and accepting of these darker, shadowy emotions. But I also think that so many people in general really hold themselves back from experiencing the full expression of their joy. You know, we see little kids who are just like jumping and playing and singing and like, ah, just yes. And then somewhere along the way, we believe that that's inappropriate and we hold ourselves back in ways from, from doing that. And even in like a sexual orientation, like how many women like can't achieve for example, orgasm and like hold themselves back and feel sensation that feels kind of maybe scary and like stop it in their body. Like that's a really common experience in the world and in the woman's body is, is almost being afraid of the fullness of our ecstasy. And so, and so therefore keeping it at bay and not really fully allowing it to, to take us over. And so I would say just as much as grief the ecstasy and the bliss of life it's those polarities of the spectrum and it's like safer to just navigate in the middle where it's balanced where that fulcrum is but really we're being we have to dance along the entire fulcrum or the entire spectrum rather not just stay in that safety part where it's like okay if I just don't move my feet and I just stay here then I can stay balanced and nothing will fall or happen and so it's being able to go to all those places but for me again it's it's that endless cultivation of increasing my capacity to hold it all our upset our rage and also our ecstasy our bliss and our joy our, our radical joy simultaneously and when I when I think about what makes joy radical I think about this really beautiful quote that's shared a lot in 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 Buddhism and in Dharma circles of um, a student who asks their teacher, teacher, why do you practice mindfulness? And the teacher says, so that when I walk along the dusty road, I won't miss the little purple flowers that grow out of the dirt. And so that's really interesting to me, right? Because mm -hmm. when we think about mindfulness or meditation, like, you know, you ask your teacher and you think they're going to say something like to achieve enlightenment or to like, or to like, I don't know, uh, be rid of my suffering. But it's simply so that I won't miss the purple flowers on my morning walk. And so for me, radical joy is a self-care practice that 
can provide refuge and healing and energy for the continued hard work that needs to be done. And it's, it's an intentional practice of actively seeking and allowing the embodiment of joy so that we can create more spaciousness and more resilience in the heart for the hard work of liberation. And my work and passion is centered around transforming and restoring justice for marginalized communities. And so in my own practice, how radical joy shows up for me is that our, our joy becomes radical when our hearts can grieve deeply for the murder of Mia Wilson and also hold delight in the wings of a butterfly in our garden, right? Like our joy becomes radical when like we hold space for the deep, deep anger and rage that is triggered in our bodies by images of migrant children being separated from their families at the border. And we can create enough space within our hearts to hold a smile for, for the breeze or for the sun or for the breath. And so neither of those things negate each other. And whether we're working as teachers or social workers or caregivers or activists or artists, we we can sometimes, I think, feel a guilt about allowing ourselves moments of joy, especially when we are witness to so much suffering. And my offering to this idea is that if we are truly committed to our work, then we must care deeply enough about ourselves to the point where we see our joy and our well-being and our liberation as as non-negotiable. Joy to me doesn't mean, in this context, doesn't mean apathy. It doesn't mean the absence of struggle. Um, Nor am I speaking about like this euphoric, pleasant emotion, like a high, right? It, It means that I as a skillful agent of liberation and and doing the work of not losing myself in times of crisis and not letting them hijack my joy, right? Like can the aspects of, and I think for folks, you know, those of us who carry marginalized identities, like the aspects of identities that make us feel beautiful and fearless also make us feel, can make us feel unbelievably terrified and vulnerable at the same time, right? Absolutely. I'm like, just like, just, as you said, yeah, that, that, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. And I think, I, what, and so one thing can we be free? Okay. Yeah. I just, um, you know, a question that came up for me from that was like, can we be free and not free at the same time? Like, can we suffer and have happiness at the same time? And I, I think like there's no easy way to answer that. You know, but I, I do think as as a queer woman of color, like as a survivor, I I know that I know that there is great violence in the world, and I I live within that great violence. But I'm also happy, and our happiness can reside with our rage, and our and our trauma can be actually becomes that medium through which we activate the wisdom that's needed to bring us that much closer to liberation. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. As, as, as I'm thinking about mm. it, it's just like making sure that 
you know, I think one of the common misconceptions is when we think about folks who are, you know, have a mindfulness practice or who meditate or, you know, whatever you're mindful, you know, whether it's yoga, breath work, is that you're, you're working towards eliminating these emotions. And that's not the case. And I, I, I think yeah. what's really important in, in, in what you've shared is just this whole idea of creating space for both and that it's okay to have space for both. Because I understand exactly what you, what you mean in terms of like, you know, in the past few yeah. years, we've dealt with a lot of uh, highly publicized, you know, deaths, murders, um, you know, mm. of, of people in marginalized, you know, communities, um, folks' lives being taken, you know, in, in certain instances, seeing videos of that. And I know that I've been yeah. in a space with that where, you know, in seeing those or seeing those videos all the way through or thinking about the Charlottesville protests of the, the woman losing her life, seeing videos of those, mm. being in a space where I was so consumed by that. And I felt guilty to want to even be happy because I felt like mm. there's something I need to do about this. And the understanding that there's mm. that to acknowledge um, kind of these tragedies in the world, but still being able to mm. acknowledge the joy that comes along with the everyday life and just really acknowledging both sides and that being okay. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think about, yeah, there is a stereotype of, at least in the Western manifestation of mindfulness, mm -hmm. that meditation is a space where we almost like es escape our pain, right? And, and, and we see this in the way that mm -hmm. it's like marketed, right? That it's a, like, like so much of what wellness and the industry of wellness is about is like selling these modalities and tactics to avoid our pain, to like get out of pain and like packaging it as self-care, right? And it's, it's not self-care, it's ignoring. And it's actually the, the opposite of self-care, right? And I, I think um, what's, what's so beautiful about the practice of mindfulness is that it's, it's a really robust tradition um, that offers us wisdom for how to be present with suffering and not, and not escape from it. So meditation for me is much deeper than just like spiritual calisthenics, right? Or just like mm -hmm. how to be less stressed or, or how to make your skin glow, right? It's actually the central aim of meditation, mindfulness. When you look at its cultural roots, has, the central aim, aim has always been to the safety of all beings. And the the and how to take care of our suffering and the suffering in the world. Um, I'd, I'd like to just speak for a moment about about agency mm. because I, I think this is really like the foundation for it. And so much of this work around reclaiming our joy has to do with I can only open the, the door and let joy in if I allow it to. And, and no one can give that to me. I've, I've had relationships that affect me psychologically where my, my first love um, died at a, a very young age when I was 17. And so there's this relationship. Um, and also my, my best friend passed away when I was a teenager as well um, through, through overdose, through drug abuse. And so there's, there's this relationship of those people, like the closest, most intimate relationships in, in my life, not being there and like leaving in some ways, like the, the, that's the relationship in my mind. And so that for me creates a level of fear and it doesn't get healed by people sticking around. 
and proving that they're not going to leave. It gets healed by me knowing that I'm safe to feel that fear. That, that, that's like when I put it on everybody else, I'm stuck in life trying to prove a story based on a belief that is opposite of that story. So all I want deeply is for people to stay, but I have a belief that they're going to leave. So I have these competing intentions and, and I have a lack of safety to actually feel the fear. So I'm never going to really get to the, get the happiness that I want, experience the joy that I want. Um, I mean, unless I have the most amazing relationship to just like have the utmost willingness to love me through it. And maybe like that definitely helps. It definitely contributes. And I'm so grateful to have that in my life. And I don't think I'd be able to receive it unless I, I had my own sense of I'm safe to feel this immense discomfort and I'm safe to receive joy. I'm safe to feel this radical um, resistance that's coming my way. Um, you know, I, I started, I started like dating um, two years ago after um, leaving a, a really long-term and committed relationship. And like so much of my body is like, a thousand percent yes and there's at the same time this immense fear at the mm. same exact time and just being able to be like cool that's there like welcome when when there's permission for me to just feel that for myself there's there's willingness to just feel that it it dissolves it dissolves that fear for a moment and it arises again later and I need it but it's it's, it's in the welcoming of it it's okay to be afraid to feel this it's okay when I give myself permission to do that, and like I'm, I'm saying that and acknowledging that there's privilege there, like there are women, particularly women of color, and I'm thinking about the stereotype of the angry black woman, like there's this lack of feeling, like an internal lack of safety to have the valid experience of upset and anger. And when we can give ourselves permission to reclaim that and understand that it's going to upset people. And it's, it's going to make people uncomfortable and people aren't going to want to listen to our upset or our rage or our ecstasy or our joy or our bliss and that it's, it's going to make them uncomfortable, but I'm giving myself permission because I feel safe within myself. That's when it changes. And, and that, that's to me, you know, this, this podcast is about leadership. That's to me what leadership is. Leadership is like, this might make you upset. But you're, you're upset, you, know, you seeing my joy, you seeing my rage, you seeing me being my authentic self and living my truth and being unapologetic about who I am, your upset around that is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to the healing and liberation of myself and of the collective to tell the truth that will like awaken humanity and raise consciousness in the world. And it's, it's such a beautiful gift that we can give ourselves to be responsible for our own joy. And yes, collectively, we won't be able to fully heal without dealing with systemic violence and police brutality and racism and colonization and hunger. That, that's ongoing and will take time. But meanwhile, personally, can... Can we refuse to let our, those present circumstances steal any of your peace or your joy or your clarity? Um, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, what I wanted to share about agency and what it means to truly see that 
our our sense of safety and joy cannot be sourced from anything outside of ourselves, right? That we can give ourselves permission to to feel that. Mm. 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 This, yeah, yeah, I'm. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, this is one I'm gonna have. To, I'm gonna be re-listening to quite, quite frequently to take some more notes because this is resonating in a way that it's yeah, that it's, mm. it's, it's resonating this way. Um, mm. Mm. <laughs> one of the mm. things I like to talk about, um, and it's one of the, the reasons why I've kind of refocused what the podcast is about, is to talk a little bit about kind of this intersection. It's kind of the tagline of the podcast is like this intersection of mindfulness and leadership. Um, and one of the things that I like to ask or talk to folks about, um, is especially for someone who has a, uh, has a mindfulness practice, how has your mindfulness practice um, affected how you kind of navigate as a consultant, how you navigate, you know, as a, you know, having a business or in, in, in really working with clients, how does your own personal um, mindfulness practice reflect into your business practices? Mm, yeah, I love that question. I think mindfulness has so many beautiful qualities and lessons that lend to the cultivation of, of peace in the hearts and minds, especially for creatives and entrepreneurs and change makers. Um, and mindfulness believes that, well, it's, in the Buddhist view, we believe that to be free from suffering is to live fully in the now moment, being fully present to the unfolding of our experience and to live as though there's no place to get to. And we see how so much of our suffering, I'll speak from my experience, so much of my suffering as a creative, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's just like super ambitious, is like feeding the hungry ghost and trying to find fulfillment in the outer world, like to, mm. to be insatiable, right? And feeling like you never have enough money, never have enough time or beauty or love or success or whatever, I think is, is to validate and participate in the collective fear factor that breeds scarcity and selfishness, which is, is really like the, the source of like all poverty and like war and hoarding and suffering if you really think about it, right? And I think mm. we are whole and complete when we see that there is nowhere to get to and nothing to prove that our value is already is already established by virtue of our creation and our obsession with fixing ourselves or like improving ourselves in some way i think obstructs our way of experiencing our perfection and i think when our attention is just like fixated on the details and like the circumstances and like the petty stuff in our lives, it's, it's just difficult for us to be here now, right? Fully in, in service and in devotion to our purpose. So I, you know, this doesn't mean that we ignore the difficulties and challenges of our lives. I think mindfulness simply invites us to empower ourselves and train ourselves to be in the present, which is, which is the only place that anyone has any power to create anything. Right. So for, for me, um, you know, how has mindfulness supported me in, in my work in the world? It supported me by helping me understand that there is no, there's no destination. Like there's, there's no mastery. There's no end point. There's only practice. 
there's only the journey. Um, in in um, in the Dharma, there's this like concept called non-striving, um, spiritual non-striving, and um, you know what what I hear a lot of the time, especially in like the spiritual development and personal development space, is like the idea of like surrender and like letting go and like surrendering to the divine, starting to faith, right? And that faith and striving are almost at odds, right? And like at the same time, like the whole premise of me being like a creator, right? And a visionary and a change maker and an activist is like lies and constantly growing and elevating and expanding and vibrating higher, right? And so like non-striving feels really counterintuitive us right and like especially if we're talking about people with marginalized identities right we're totally built for striving in all the ways right it's like how we're socialized as people of color as women as queer folks like our person you know my personally my personality is built for it right and some of that is like we need that but the sort of non-striving concept for me has been a really releaseful invitation in my work in the world and how I begin to relate to the the work I've been called to do. And I think, I think, you know, what might it, I think it's about self-love, right? And beginning to heal from some of the oppressive ideologies that have said to us that we are not enough just as we are, right? And, and that, you know, in a sacred sense, as we're opposing, you know, racism and patriarchy and capitalism that says that we need to produce as workers, as artists, as creators, as entrepreneurs in order to be valuable to the system or that we need to like conform to certain standards of success or beauty in order to be valuable. What does it mean to just refuse all of that and to just non-strive and to actually say, you know what, as a part of creation, perfection is already here. Sacredness is already here. We don't have to invent it or create it. So I think to me, it, mindfulness in that way um, has been a very inspiring connection to entrepreneurship and social change and artistic creation and the spiritual work that I'm, I'm here to do. Hmm. So with that, I, I love mm. asking this question, um, and then particularly mm. with, with, you know, your answer, because I've, I, I've thought about this whole idea of this tension, you know, that you've mentioned, this tension between mm. like striving and, and just really being, being a creative, being a, you know, a change maker, being in that space and what that tension looks like. But with that, well, I think an interesting question for you would be, what does success look like? Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. It's actually been a while since I thought about this question because I've been, like the work for me has been on non-striving, right? Mm -hmm. And like releasing attachment to success. But I, I think it, it's so important to not just know what you, to have awareness of what you don't want of, but to also have awareness of what you do want. And so I think success for me as a, as a leader, um, I, it's, there, there's so many people like guides and healers and mentors and coaches and, and leadership. And for me, 
being a, a good leader and like being a good healer or a guide or whatever labels you want to you want to use for, for me is about success for me in that context looks like the upliftment of the whole it's not just about a person it's about collective greatness and it's about the greatness in others like le leadership has been modeled to us from I'm great so I'm a leader rather than I see your greatness and that's what makes me a leader and that's a huge difference from like the patriarchal system that we've been in that has modeled leadership for us right mm -hmm. and so success for me as in this work that I'm doing is just unraveling all the layers of ego around my heart that keeps me from really being of service to the collective knowing when I'm, I'm creating in the world from a place of like wanting to prove myself or um, to be like bold and like demonstrative in my gift, right? When I can dissolve those, those illusions um, and unlearn, unlearn that conditioning so that my work in the world can truly be from a place of upliftment of the whole. And I think, when I, when I, you know, when I'm able to recognize that, then I can show up from that place. And I think for many of us, we're, we're all in this journey of reconfiguring what that's like, um, as we are seeing more women and more people of color stepping into positions of leadership. It's really transforming what success and what leadership, right, um, looks like for us. And so I'm really excited to be part of, I think, that, that movement of unlearning, learning, and then relearning what it means to be a leader um, in, yeah, in, in this lifetime. Does that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it absolutely mm. does. <laughs> and I, I think you're, you bring up a really interesting point about this whole idea of mm -hmm. you know, this, the concept of leadership is kind of changing and what that means. And because I think mm -hmm. we're getting a much more, um, there's still work to be done, but I do think we're getting a, um, a much more inclusive look at what leadership can be as folks are starting to step mm -hmm. into spaces and spaces are starting to um, open up to a certain degree for folks to be able to, um, you know, mm -hmm. assume some of these positions of power in, in that regard. I do think um, that that definition and concept is kind of ever evolving and, and changing. Mm -hmm. um, I like this whole idea that you mentioned in terms of like, you know, learning, relearning um, what that kind of means and then how that's going to operate mm -hmm forward as as we have a lot of change makers and folks you know creating movements of change and, and, and growth for folks mm, yeah yeah and when I think about the kinds of what's becoming more normalized in leadership right what people would call like soft skills right <laughs> you know traits or like like emotional intelligence right like that to me feels so much better in my body like I just think about times in my life where like I embodied so much of the leadership training I received in my life is like how to be like a man. Right. And like, I, I embodied that, you know, this sort of like hyper masculine style of leadership that like got shit done, but which left me deeply unfulfilled. Um, and just like, didn't feel good in my body. And when I see, you know, things like emotional intelligence and 
um, mindful communication, right? Like becoming more mindfulness, becoming more normalized in places that we work and live, that feels so much more easeful in, in my body. Right. And, you know, empowers, makes the, the, the idea of like showing up to work, right. And like doing the work that much more empowering when I feel like I don't have to hide, I don't have to put on a mask of what people think a, a leader ought to be, you know? So always just like listening, right. I think that's what leaders do as well is like trusting their intuitive wisdom and just listening to what 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 kind of movement right or change in paradigm is being asked to move itself through them and that's like it, it's great because i you know i was having this conversation the other day with one of my coworkers about that that you know uh, mm. i work in higher ed and student affairs and a lot of our work is around you know development and um, leadership development and what that really looks like and it's interesting that so much more of the of the content so much more of what we are sharing with students um, is less conversations around power and more about um, this introspective space that you need to you know as a leader starting with with self and really understanding who you are so that you can um, figure out how to share that with um, with the folks that you are um, designated to serve or designed to serve. I just think that the, it's interesting mm -hmm. that you mentioned that because it's like a lot of the dialogue around that. And like you said, emotional intelligence, when you think about, you know, mm -hmm. things like strength finders and what that means, that, that's all about yeah. what, are the, what are the qualities that make you you? Um, and that really shows you how you should or could navigate in spaces, even showing you, you know, the types of mm. you know, positions or careers or things like that that are designated for what you bring, the talents that you bring to the table. Um, it's interesting because it, yeah. it, the paradigm is definitely shifting on what leadership um, has looked like mm. in the past. Mm, yeah, you mentioned power and how we're, we're unlearning and relearning. Mm -hmm. That it's and it, it sounds like within the school systems as well, and like something I'm really excited to see and I've been seeing more of is moving away from competition and into collaboration, mm -hmm. um, which I, which I, I think like for me again feels so much better in my body, right? When I step into, hey, I'm not like I want everyone to become a healer. I want everyone to become like people are like, aren't you worried that the market is being saturated by coaches and mindfulness teachers I'm like no because there's endless need for healing in the world and I, I believe that there's an abundance of clients for me an abundance of clients for my sister an abundance of clients for my my comrades right and because there's an endless need for healing you know when it comes to artists right there's like an endless need for creation in the world so to, to me that that just feels so much more intuitive I think like competition may be the norm, but actually in the way that we're designed, I think it's deeply unnatural. Um, collaboration feels so much more good to me in, in my body. And um, yeah, I don't know if that's something you've been recognizing as well in the sort of spaces that you're in. No, absolutely, absolutely. And most of the, yeah. most of the conversation is particularly around that. It's like, how can we work together? One, you know, competition isn't as big of a, a big of a thing. And I think that goes back to thinking about ideas like strength finders, where it's like, my top mm. five strengths might be this and yours might be something completely different, but then how can we work together in a group to, you know, achieve the goal that we're set out to do because we all bring something unique to the table. Um, and, and how do yeah. we tackle 
each other's strengths and each, each other's abilities to really, you know, mm. move, you know, the needle on whatever our designated, you know, goal, purpose, you know, all of that. I think it's, it's mm. built around collaboration. It's like, if I know myself and I know what I bring to the table, I know what I can contribute to a team. Um, and, and it helps yes. you know, spaces better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if our work, whatever your work is in the world, like if you're an accountant, if you're in real estate, if you're like a healer, an artist, whatever your calling is, like should be, if we're here to get free, liberation work should feel liberating. Like the work we're doing in the world should feel liberating, right? And to me, stepping into these sort of qualities of, of leadership, I think allows us to really use our work as vehicles for experiencing more joy. Like just, I guess I'm just coming back to, to joy, right? It left like something that just, I think is just really wanting to like come out through me, you know, is, is how can we make things more joyful? How can we make things, this work of liberation and getting free? Because it's not butterflies and rainbows and singing songs in a circle. Sometimes it can be, right? Sometimes when we do this healing work, we, we feel the heart opening and right, like this relief in our body. But most of the time, it's hard work. And so how can we bring back the joy? How can we bring back, um, yeah, how can we make things more fun and creative for us so that we can experience more joy in our lives, which is our birthright, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So, Charlotte, can you talk to me about... Um maybe a person who's had like a tremendous impact on your own personal development and maybe how they've, um, they've had an impact on your life. Mm. <sighs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm very fortunate to come from a really long lineage of spiritual activists in, in my family. And my, my family, as I, I mentioned earlier, comes from Vietnam, and um, my parents came here as, as boat people, as, as refugees, and, um, you know, the, the, the person who comes to mind for me, to, to answer your question, is, is my grandfather, who taught me everything that I know. Um, my, my grandparents and my parents, like, brought me to the temple for the first time when I was seven, the first time I ever sat down officially, like, to do a formal meditation practice was when I was seven years old. And, um, you know, my father would, my father, my grandfather would tell me so many stories about the history of our, of our people and our land. And what I found through him was that the peoples of mainland Southeast Asia have a history that is just rich with stories about survival. We've been tested on conquest and the loss of our lands and our foods and our languages, our, our spiritual ways, and, and yet we're still here. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be here if my ancestors were so resilient. We wouldn't be here if our ancestors were so resilient. And what I discovered through him, and, and he was, he was he's like the keeper of stories in the family. He, he always has been. And what I discovered through him and it, like, these are the stories he would tell me as like a seven year old, right? So this tells you a lot about how like I was, you know, socialized as a child and politicized as a child. But he, what he told me was that during the French revolution, the, the French colonization of Southeast Asia, Vietnamese Buddhists gave birth to what was called the 
engaged mindfulness movement. And that's, um, that is, they were using the path of meditation and self-inquiry and compassion to awaken change in response to colonization and all these other injustices they were facing. Um, and in the 60s, like thousands of Vietnamese Buddhists launched um, a campaign of civil resistance for religious equality and held these like massive demonstrations um, in opposition to the, the French like Catholic ruling elite. I think it's really funny that mindfulness and like Asian people and practices are often like casted as being like inherently more like passive or peaceful or zen because like th this to me is what mindfulness looks like right like marching around pagodas chanting making their demands be heard and actually I don't know if you're familiar with this but um there's an iconic Pulitzer Prize winning photograph of um, a, a monk burning himself um, exactly in the middle of a street. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's like sitting in complete stillness, right? As his body is becoming engulfed in flames. And um, his name was Thich Quan Duc. And he was actually um, not, not a colleague of my grandfather, but my grandfather would often sit and listen to his teachings. He was a 75 year old monk who sacrificed his own life in protest through an act of, of self-immolation. And so, you know, it was, it's really through him that I found my, my purpose in realizing that our people have always used meditation and the power of breath to resist against our conditions and alleviate suffering in the world. And, and we see examples of engaged mindfulness in um, other, other countries like in India and in Thailand, in Tibet, today and yeah I, I think you know when he passed away about two years ago not two years ago three years ago I began to really root myself in the medicine of my ancestors um, and really took my meditation practice seriously and found my purpose in holding space for people to explore the influence of Southeast Asia on other healing traditions Right, and the beautiful and inspiring legacy of Buddhism and mindfulness and meditation, and you know, through him, I, I think it 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 just is my greatest honor and dream come true to become a vessel for that work. Um, and yeah, that's that's someone who who comes to mind for me, you know. And I, yeah, I, I think you know, I I get. I get really excited when people want to learn about meditation, mindfulness, and I think it belongs to everybody. But I'm so, I love like encouraging people and inspiring people to connect to their own ancestors, right? How did your ancestors heal themselves as acts of resistance and self-determination, right? What were their practices? Um, yeah, and so that's, that's someone who's inspired that work for me. <laughs> With that, you know, I like to ask about a person, but is there a resource that has also been maybe very influential in your own personal development? You know, maybe book, movie, podcast, song, TED Talk, anything in particular yeah. that may have been um, maybe influential that you'd like to share with, with the listeners? Of course, yes. Yeah. So the, this engaged mindfulness movement that I've just been sharing about was really spearheaded by um, a teacher and a Zen master named Thich Nhat Hanh, T-H-I-C-N-H-A-T-H-A-N-H. -H -H -H. And he 
um, is a is a beloved. Are, are you familiar with him, by the way, Brandon? I've, I've actually read some of some of his work. I've actually read some of his work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm sitting mm-hmm. here. Like, got some more homework to do. I'm sitting here. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Every podcast guest where, where mine either you know brings up um, some previous work or that I've read, or even provides me with a new reading list. Um, so I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're you're hip to it. Yes. <laughs> but yes, Tikiot Han, he's a beloved peace and teacher and I would really encourage for those who have time he has a book called Being Peace I deeply deeply recommend it and just offers teaches mindfulness in a way that doesn't ignore oppression and suffering right um, because he's, he's been through the depths of hell and back you know through the Vietnam War and colonization and, and forces of, of that nature for those who have time I would recommend that book for those who don't have time, he has a wonderful 20-minute interview with Oprah <laughs> um, when Oprah had her, her um, yeah. With, Super Soul with, Sundays? Yeah, yeah, Super Soul Sundays, exactly. Yeah, I forgot the name. Thank you. Yeah, she mm-hmm. does a beautiful 20-minute interview with him and actually speaks about his relationship with Dr. King. Um, Tikyat Han and Dr. King were, were um, beautiful comrades in the struggle. And actually, it was through Tikyat Han's um, life and work and activism that inspired Dr. King to come out against the Vietnam War at the time. And Dr. King also nominated Tikyat Han for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and so there's there's um, yeah beautiful partnership in that way. And so yeah, those are two resources I I definitely recommend. So as we, we wrap up, I have two more questions for you. Um, one of them being, um, at the end of the day, um, what would you like, or what what, is, what, are your, what are your intentions around your legacy? Mm. Mm. I, it's, it's so important to me that people through my life and, and through my work and through my, you know, my, my humble service, come to understand that happiness is your birthright. Your joy is your birthright. That you are and have always been your ancestors' wildest dreams. Um, I hope that my legacy... The, the people that I, I touch and, and live and work and commune with um, know that they are deeply held and loved and that they are, that freedom and liberation is their birthright. Mm. Yeah. And that, ah, and that you are being, supported um, and loved and guided um, by your ancestors, by those who love you, by those who came before you. And yeah, I hope that people leave this conversation understanding and believing that their joy is not negotiable, that their liberation is not negotiable. 
yeah, I hope that that's the legacy I leave behind. Hmm. And then after that, I guess I'd like to ask, is there any other, because you, you dropped a lot of gems in this episode, <laughs> which is great. Are there any, any other parts or um, parting advice that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, you know, maybe around radical mm. joy, around creating a mindfulness practice, um, anything else that you'd like to share, um, share with the listeners? Mm. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I love for folks to, I, I think when it comes to any sort of spiritual or personal development, there's got to be a balance of like the magical and the tactical, right? Like the spiritual, the, the, the spiritual and the tactical, like the head and the heart, you know, the strategy and the intuition. So I love leaving behind just very simple, actionable steps that people can, can take to practice healing through radical joy. And so the first piece, um, training your body to recognize joy. So maybe throughout this week, making it your intention to recognize when joy is present and like feeling deeply into how joy is embodied for you and allowing the joy to just be freely experienced without trying to hold onto it or change it in any way. Just notice, notice any patterns of when or how joy comes up for you. Um, and the second, try keeping a, a joy journal or a gratitude journal, like keep a journal of the things that bring you joy this week. Um, maybe even like noting where and how the body like held that joyous experience. Um, and then you can, you know, later reread those entries to like comfort and inspire and, and energize you on, on a rainy day. Um, the third is to unplug unplug and seek out joy um take some time this week ideal daily to like intentionally do things that bring you joy and you know maybe instead of scrolling on instagram for like a few hours or like vegging on the couch watching netflix like take a bath hold hands with someone you love reach out to a friend that you've been meaning to connect with and delilah boswell um is a, a beautiful teacher and I've learned a lot from her about how simple joy can be. Joy can be as simple as just coming home and just removing your shoes very mindfully and just feeling the sensation of your bare feet hitting the floor, um, you know, a slow breath, right? Just like feeling your body. Um, and then the fourth, um, the fourth, I guess, um, simple way to, to practice healing through radical joy is if you have a meditation practice already, or if you don't, um, I would encourage you to just practice a simple joy mindfulness practice. Um, and so have the focus of your practice be joy. And so just inviting you to maybe bring to mind a time when you experience joy. And as you hold that joy is an experience in your mind and in your heart, noting how does the body respond? Like what is the felt sense in the body that accompanies that experience of joy? And just like noticing, like, do the cheeks begin to turn up to a smile? Like does the heart rate increase a little bit, right? Really holding that joyous moment in your mind and your heart, like in full, in full color and allowing it to just, allowing that feeling of joy to just fill your body, nourish you, heal you, bring you energy. 
Um, so I definitely encourage you to make joy and intention in your daily meditation practice or to, um, yeah, to start a meditation practice and so that you can remember that this place of joy is always available to you. Um, times when you feel tired, like joy, joy is always available to you. Times when you feel frustrated, joy is available to you. And just orienting ourselves around the embodiment of joy so that we can, I think, use it as, as a reservoir and a wellspring, a place to come back to, to take refuge in, so that we can, so we can just continue to do the good work that we are here to do <laughs> in, this, in this lifetime, in these bodies. Yeah, that's all I have to share. Listen, Charlotte, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to have a conversation um, and really, you know, talk about some 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 uh, very pertinent and, and I think needed <laughs> topics mm. in particular. And like I said, I'm very intentional about um, saying this, and I feel like I say it every podcast, but it's true every episode. It's there's some, you know, every episode, there's something that resonates with me. And I feel like it's meant mm. for me to have these conversations with, with my great guests, like yourself at the times in which they happen. Um, but I'm, I'm, I can bet some money on it that I know that this is going to resonate with a lot of the listeners. Um, so thank mm. you. Oh my gosh. Thank you, my dear, for practicing joy with me. Um, I, it's it's so wonderful to talk and you've given you've given me lots of new ideas and food for thought and food for thought so thank you and thank you for using your voice and your life to uplift others um i i don't take it again i don't take for granted at all just what a great privilege it is to be seen and be heard and i wish you joy you deserve all the joy and um i i kind of just want to something that came up for me um in in hearing you talk about the different guests that have come on it, it reminds me of a line from audrey lord the, the black les, lesbian feminist poet and she she says there are no new i there are no new truths only new ways of making them felt and i'm so excited to continue listening to your other guests on this podcast and just deepening into our healing work together um and making them felt in in new ways um, yeah, may we all make them felt in exciting, beautiful, and new ways. So, Charlotte, what is the best way for my listeners to, to get in touch with you? What are your social media handles and website? Ah, yes. Yeah. So, you can always find me at www.charlotte-nguyen.com. Um, my last name, N-G-U-Y-E-N, um, charlotte-nguyen.com. And my Instagram handle is lotus in a sea of fire. And I'm also on Facebook at Get Free with Charlotte. So please, please come find me. I'm super active on social media. I love doing lives and guided meditations and, um, yeah, share my journey. So please, please drop by and say hi. I would love to hear from you. And, yeah, please come find me. And let's just continue to ah, awaken humanity and let's get free. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you again for your continued support of the Mindful Rebel podcast. I appreciate the listens. I appreciate you vibing with the podcast. Um, If you would like to check out past episodes, please go to any of your favorite podcasts and platforms. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Anchor FM. If you want to learn more about me and what I do as a creative, an educator, and a scholar, 
you can go to my website that's seanjmore.com again that's seanjmore.com to learn a little bit more about me and what i do uh, again thank you for your continued support please any feedback that you have any potential guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast don't hesitate to reach out let me know what you think uh all feedback is welcome thank you